Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Ian Tullock, and joining me is a former staff member of the New Jersey Devils, Rachel Dory. Rachel, how are you doing on this fine day? I am in a great mood. Ian, how are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, Taylor Hall is on his way to Arizona. He's going to the Sunshine State. How do you feel about this? I'm, I'm so excited for him. Like, I really am. The guy, like, he's probably going to get to play in the playoffs. I mean, I don't want to say it's a sure thing. It's still only December. But when you go from kind of a bottom feeder to a team that's leading their division, like, that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, it's it's rare that we use the words uh, you know Arizona Coyotes and playoffs in the in the same sentence, but adding a player of his caliber certainly improves their chances. I know that I was a bit skeptical of whether or not their success this season was real. I think a lot of it had to do with Darcy Kemper's incredible goaltending and having Anti Ranta as a backup, you know, splitting the net, whatever you want to call it, they have going on there. They've been getting some ridiculous goaltending this season. I was kind of worried about how their 5-on-5 numbers were going to end up sewering the team, but having a dominant transition player like Taylor Hall all of a sudden, I'm really curious to see what this team looks like at 5-on-5 now, but we need to talk about the trade. What did the New Jersey Devils get in return from the Arizona Coyotes? So they're keeping half of Hall's salary, which is $3 million bucks. Um, and I think that's probably pretty important to note because generally if you retain salary, you get a better package. Um, so New Jersey traded half of Taylor Hall's salary and Taylor Hall, the actual human, to and Blake Spears uh, to Arizona for Nick Merkley, Kevin Ball, who was a second rounder, Nate Schnarr, I think who plays in Guelph in the OHL, a first round pick and a conditional third round pick. So which, basically we're looking at Nick Merkley here, who in, in my opinion is like a B-level prospect. He's like a bottom six forward, basically. Yeah, I can see that. Kevin Ball, I'm not really sure what to make of him. I mean, some people you could say he's a B-level prospect. I see him as more of maybe a C-level prospect, in my opinion. But I've that might talked be... to some people who don't think he's an NHLer at all, and then I've talked to other people who think his ceiling's like a number five. Um, um, Nate Schnarr uh, is, sounds like a made-up person. <laughs> I don't know what you can tell me about him. I cannot. Okay, so that's that. First round pick is the big asset here. And then what's the third round pick conditional on? So if Arizona doesn't win a playoff round and Hall doesn't resign, it remains a third. If one of those two things happens, it becomes a second. And if Hall resigns and they win a playoff round, it becomes another first. Interesting. Okay, so... At this point, New Jersey is cheering for Arizona because they want them to win a playoff round and they want Taylor Hall to re-sign with the Arizona Coyotes because then they get that fir- an extra first-round pick, presumably, I guess, in 2021 because the first, that they, the, the first one that they got is in 2020 this year. The interesting thing to me is what happens if Arizona's goaltending falls off a bit, Taylor Hall doesn't quite click in Arizona, they still don't score, and they fall out of the playoff race. This could be a top... 15 pick in the 2020 draft which is loaded see to me like you're a big numbers guy like you're the graph part of this podcast do you think taylor hall is going to shoot five percent for the rest of the year no and i don't (laughs) think that derek stepan and phil kessel and clayton keller are going to keep being 10 of the worst point producers in the nhl at five on five i think that that's going to regress upwards a bit so I think that there are some things to look forward to. I think the power play in Arizona is going to be a lot better now. You have Phil Kessel on one side of the ice, Taylor Hall on the other side of the ice. That's, this is going to be the best power play Arizona's ever had, I want to say, in the last at least decade. I can't think of a, a better power play, at least uh, personnel-wise, that they've had recently. It's weird. I'm excited to watch the Arizona Coyotes. They have some exciting players now. I've never said that before. So I am, good for Arizona. I'm super excited, and we'll get into this in the Kovalev shift, but... Um, I think this probably has a lot to do with the new Coyotes ownership structure, and I'm I'm super excited. Um, first of all, Taylor Hall in a Kachina, Arizona jersey. You can sign me up for that. I will be getting one of those. I don't know how, but I will be getting one. Um, just Is that the a, old Phoenix one with like the weird logo? Like yeah. The, so I yeah, was. I love that one. I was actually at a hockey store the other day and I saw it and was like oh like I really want this jersey but I don't know who I'd get on the back type of situation and now it's fully like okay I really want this jersey because it's really cool also I know exactly who I'm getting on the back 
Like whether he even if he's only there for the next four, five, six months, I don't know how long their playoff run goes, but I don't care. (laughs) It's like the idea of like I I saw a few people who had a Brett Favre Minnesota Vikings jersey just for the jokes. And oh, for me, it's not for the jokes. It's because I want the jersey because I think it's really cool, and I really like Taylor Hall as a hockey player and as a human being. Actually, he is a really good human being. So we need to be careful here because you worked for the Devils in the past. You can't say anything about your time working with them in terms of stuff that happened behind the scenes, but you can give your opinion on hockey-related matters the same way anyone could. Yes. So in my personal opinion, New Jersey didn't get enough in this trade because I don't like the prospects that they got back. I think if you're going to be getting prospects back, the the ones that they were rumored to be getting from other teams like the Florida Panthers, Alexi Hepelniemi and Henrik Borgstrom, I love those guys. And they were both healthy scratches the other day in their, the AHL game for Florida's team. But I don't love Nick Merkley. I, I really don't like Kevin Ball. For me, the, the big asset here is the first-round pick and the idea of Taylor Hall re-signing in Arizona and helping them win a playoff round, which would be another first-round pick. But this, this reminds me a bit of the Eric Carlson trade and that it's a one-year rental for a great player, but I'm not a big fan of the return. Yeah, so for me, I think it's probably important to point out, like, I would way rather, and it is shrewd business to acquire people who are proven to be NHL players than just first-round picks. And of course, it's draft capital. But at the end of the day, if you don't, it's not a guarantee that you're going to hit on those picks. And if you don't develop those players, so if you don't have a good development structure, no matter who you are in the NHL, it doesn't matter. Because you have to develop those players. And we've seen teams get first-round picks and, and draft guys and not develop them. So like Edmonton Oilers drafting some highly talented players who go on to uh, Yessi Pugliarvi themselves into a successful Finnish career. But man, if another team had him, you'd think that they would have developed him a lot better. Um, but what I'm saying is, is it's great to acquire first round picks, but I'd way rather acquire an NHL roster player. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things where if you can get a roster player, even if it's not a top three forward or a top two defenseman, if you can get a guaranteed number four defenseman or a guaranteed second line winger, like that's How about a guaranteed second line center in Vincent Trocek, who was rumored to be a potential trade candidate in this trade? He has three more years at $4.75 million. I know that Oh, that's a steal. Of, and that's the thing. like He's fallen off a bit in the last year or two, but he's still a good player. I would have liked the idea of that. I would have liked the idea of Heponiemi and Borgstrom. I, I thought that Florida, from everything I was hearing, it wasn't going to be Trocek and those players. I think it was going to be either Trocek or those, or those prospects. Well, because you think, but... okay, so New Jersey's pretty set up down the middle. Like, they have Nico Heischer, bona fide center. Like, that is a center you can win with. They have Jack Hughes, who, like, has a bunch of talent. Obviously, he still has to develop. He's obviously good enough to play in the NHL, but he needs to develop. And maybe getting someone like a Vincent Trocek, who could play center as Hughes kind of develops, or throw Trocek on the wing, and maybe he helps mold Hughes into the NHL star center that he can be, that's a we better kind of option with Tyler than just Sagan getting... Early in his career. We see it with a lot of young centers where it's clear that they're going to be a center, but when they're 18, 19, it's hard playing center at the NHL level. So you start off on the wing and work your way down the middle. Yeah, like I think it's it's important to not screw up that development, even though these guys are super talented and it would be very difficult to screw up how good they are. Um, but okay, so here's a question. Your team trading a star player, a guy who literally won the MVP 18 months ago, and obviously like he's been injured and fallen off a little bit, but still a spectacular hockey player. Um, are you looking for quantity or quality at that point? Because would you rather have, let's say, would you rather have two good, solid, put him in the lineup pieces, or five or six pieces. It's tough because I know when we're talking about draft picks, we like the idea of trading down because a second and a fifth is better than a late first round pick. So the idea is that you want as much quantity as possible. That's going to give you the best chance at maybe getting a diamond in the rough. I think the hard part with prospects after they're drafted is that we can kind of see what they're going to be. You know what I mean? After a year or two of development, it's very clear that Nick Merkley isn't going to be a top six NHL player. If I'm wrong about that, that you know, I've been wrong about many things in the past, but it's very unlikely at this point. Uh, Kevin Ball, very unlikely, he's going to be a top half of the lineup kind of player. After a couple years of development, 
we get a much better read on a player than we did at age 17. So if you're acquiring B and C level prospects, I don't think that there's much upside there. I like the upside of a first round pick because at least I know that there is a ceiling that potentially that player could hit that Nick Merkley's never going to okay, hit. Okay, but so, what about if you, instead of, never mind prospects and picks, instead of a first-round pick, what if you could acquire a Christian Fisher or a Christian Dvorak, like someone who's already in the lineup, already making an impact? Or I'm not saying that Arizona would have done this, but somebody like Nick Schmaltz, let's say. Like, I'm talking a contributing NHL forward where you know that you're getting an NHL player who can contribute. Do you not rather go that route? Honestly, I think I'd rather have the upside just because I'm not a huge fan of someone like Dvorak. I'm not a fan of someone who's a third-line NHL player on a long-term contract. To me, that's just not a great asset, in my opinion. I'd rather have the upside, even though, like you say, there's no guarantee that a first-round pick is going to be anything. But I'd rather have multiple picks in a trade. I, I know that when Jeff Skinner was traded, I didn't agree with him being traded. But I like the idea that instead of just getting a first-round pick in the Jeff Skinner trade, they got multiple picks. They got uh, Cliff Pooh, a prospect that I liked at the time, didn't pan out. But I like the idea of multiple aspects of the trade. The hard part with this Taylor Hall trade is that I'm just not a big fan of the prospects at all. So right, I'd like rather... what if it was different? Let's say it was St. Louis or Colorado. What if it was Connor Timmons? Or in St. Louis's case, maybe it's Jordan Cairo. Like... Those are significantly better prospects. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, Connor Timmons is projected to be a top four NHL defenseman. I was really hoping that Taylor Hall could have negotiated a contract ahead of time so that New Jersey would have got, you know, similar to the Eric Branstrom for Mark Stone trade. I think there were other pieces in that trade, but it was basically Eric Branstrom for Mark Stone. The only reason a team would be willing to give up a prospect of that caliber is if they know they're getting eight years of Taylor Hall or seven years of Taylor Hall. That obviously wasn't the case. He wasn't ready to commit to anything yet. So they got this weird kind of smorgasbord of of middling prospects and a first-round pick, which is nice. But again, that pick could be in the 20s, depending on how well Arizona does this year. Then again... A pick in the 20s in this draft, I think, is better than a pick in the 20s in a lot of previous drafts. This 2020 draft is really good, so that matters in my opinion, but I just I don't like the idea of B-level prospects in a trade. To me, they're just not that valuable. I'd, I'd much rather have, like you said, an A-level prospect in a Connor Timmons, and if I'm not getting any of that, I'd rather just get a bunch of picks. Uh, maybe that wasn't on the table, but I, I like the idea of draft capital. Yeah, I can see that. And if you trust your scouts and you trust your development staff, then obviously, of course, if you look at like a team like Vancouver, for argument's sake, you look at they drafted Cole Lind in the second round or Michael DiPietro, even a guy like Jonah Gadjevich. And then obviously you look at Thatcher Demko and Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Of course, if you give the Canucks a, a, a top end pick right now, they're going to probably hit on it just with whatever they've been doing there. Tampa Bay, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in a hurry to be giving up my picks to those teams because that could turn out to, to bite you. But for, the way I look at it is when we're talking quantity quality, I would rather, if the options are a first-round pick, a conditional first-round pick, and two prospects versus a first-round pick and an A-level prospect, I'm taking option two every time. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're, if you could get... And Arizona was said that Jacob Chikrin and Victor Soderstrom and Barrett Hayton were off the table. But let's say they were on the table. If you could get Barrett Hayton and a pick, or Victor Soderstrom and a pick, that's they're the not giving up Barrett did. Hayton, who they drafted fourth overall ahead of Quinn Hughes, which I still think was an insane decision. But they're not trading a, a guy they drafted fourth overall. I, I just feel like in order to do that, something would have right, to right, and they shouldn't them. do that. I mean, Barrett Hayton's going to star for Canada at the World Juniors. But what I'm saying is, is if you could get a Jordan Cairo or a Connor Timmons, you take that type of player over three BC level prospects type of situation. I would much rather have that because that player is more likely to turn out to be an impact player. That's the, the trade that we all made in the EA Sports video games. We give up a bunch of our junk and see if we could add it up to a, a, a player with elite potential. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I will give you this bag of... A hundred magic beans for your shiny star. All my second round picks from 10 years from now for a good player. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> probably important it. to point out that, uh, great job, John Chaka. Like, this is, even if you only get a half year of Taylor Hall, you are giving up pretty much a, a bunch of, like, you're giving up draft capital, but you're giving up a bunch of maybes for someone who 
is a Hart Trophy winner. Yeah, so like, I think we're going to do something right now that we haven't done in the past. We're going to let's do a deep dive in the Arizona Coyotes because they've all of a sudden overnight become a very interesting team in the NHL. Right. I mean, do we want to talk about the other teams that were in it and potentially like what that could have looked like? Sure. Tell you what, how about we do that first? We'll go through some of the other teams that were in the running and then maybe we'll do the deep dive on Arizona because I think if you're a casual hockey fan, you're probably going to tune into a lot more Arizona Coyotes games now than you would have in the past. So we'll do that deep dive in a few minutes. But who were some of the teams that were in on Taylor Hall that were really close to acquiring him? So I think that the two main ones that I saw other than Arizona were uh, Colorado, which I mean, they seem to be the front runner for the longest time. And then Florida entered the pack. And when it kind of became clear that Hall wasn't really interested in in negotiating a contract. They kind of backed away, and then St. Louis as well. Those are basically the other three teams that were involved. I really wish we got to see him in Colorado, just selfishly, because of how much I love watching Colorado anyways with McKinnon and Playing beside Nathan McKinnon, oh my god. No, they'd be on separate lines. They'd have to be on separate lines, no, with the way they play? I mean, have to? I don't know. I feel Late like in games when you're trailing and you want to just like you know throw the kitchen sink at the other team, yeah. But I feel like it just makes so much sense to have a, a puck dominant player who's elite in transition to have one of McKinnon or Hall on the ice for most of the okay, game. Okay, but that power play unit would be like that would have been gross. McKinnon. I mean, they all they already have a gross power play, and then you would so. just add a left flanker in Taylor Hall. <laughs> just I mean, no, they have they have Rantanen as the trigger man on that side of the ice. I'm not sure. It, it's that would have been a weird one to see how they would have made it work, but Taylor Hall's it, it actually got really good numbers at the net front too, so you could have put him there. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure you could find a way to get Taylor Hall on your power play at that point. When Phil Kessel joined the Penguins, everyone was saying, "Ooh, how's this going to work with the you know the I'm not sure if it's going to fit systemically." Like, you just put a bunch of talent on the ice. Usually, they can figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So St. Louis, who do they have? They have got Sammy Blay. He's played. He's good. That probably would have been someone. I would. Trying to build the trade here uh, on St. Louis's behalf. Yeah, like okay. I think Robert Thomas was probably off the table. Jordan Cairo, maybe, probably off the table. If not, that would have been the guy that I went after. I can't, I can't see how Jordan Cairo's off the table for a Taylor Hall. How's he doing right now? Because I know he tore up the OHL, but what's he doing in the in the AHL? Um, right I think he was hurt, and then he was recently called up. To the NHL. Oh my god, he's point per game in the AHL at age 21. Holy yeah, that's crap. pretty good. And he was basically a point per game last year. Yeah, he's he's a good hockey player. So that's someone I would have gone after. Vince Dunn, um, the defenseman on St. Louis. They don't they don't play him nearly enough. They play Jay Bomeister more minutes than Vince Dunn. Vince Dunn's their best left-handed defenseman. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, they have Pareko and Petrangelo on the right, so that likely... They actually put Colton Pareko on the left side of the ice, where he's been having a terrible season. Uh, So maybe move him back to the right. Great job giving up a bunch of assets and acquiring a a position of non-need in Justin Falk. I, I, I still don't understand that trade. In terms of prospects, they have Klim Kostin, uh, Alexei Toropchenko, Tanner Kaspik, like, those are all guys that I would say probably have a, a better ceiling than a guy um, like Nick Merkley, but that's sort of where that is. They got Jake Wallman on the back end. Um, but to me, the guys that I would be going after to start, Vince Dunn, roster player, he's probably becomes um he probably becomes New Jersey's best left defenseman, now that I think about it. Um and then up front I mean that's really Jordan not Kyrie. saying much. Yeah, I mean New Jersey has Vatnin and Subban and Severson. Butcher needs to be sheltered, right. I guess, is the nicest way of putting it. Yeah, and in sheltered minutes, he's very successful. Kind of reminds me of, like, uh, Colin Miller, you know? Yeah. Okay, so then Florida. Rumored. I want to do Colorado. Okay, we'll do Colorado. This is, this is where I really wanted him to go, and... I thought if they got him, they would have had a really good chance at re-signing him because he'd have success there, and then they'd find a way to make it work. They have the cap space. The fact that he's not going there now, I'm thinking, man, what's the opportunity cost here? Because you could have added Taylor Hall to this great team, but maybe they didn't think it made sense in the long term to have an, a depreciating asset at whatever you know number he would have making. I don't know. Does Taylor Hall get $11 million in the open market? I see, it's hard to say right now with the season he's having, but like, okay, Colorado. 
obviously Bowen Byram, Kale McCarr, complete non-starters. Do not even pick up the phone for that. But like Kale McCarr might be the best defenseman in the NHL today. He's so good. So okay, who do you got? You got Tyson Jost. That's a roster player. He's very young. He's still on his ELC. Okay, you could go there. Um, I don't think they're gonna trade Andre Burakovsky, but he's been uh, really, really good for them. I know the Devils were in on Zadorov. That was mentioned a couple times, and he's a big, tough defenseman, so that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Wouldn't they have been more interested in prospects, though, in a player like a Connor Timmins, the right-handed defenseman who... I'm, like, I'm not sure if that was the deciding factor for Colorado. They decided they didn't want to trade Connor Timmins, and that's why they didn't get Taylor Hall. Yeah. If that's what it ultimately came down to, do you think they made the right decision? Yes. So you would hold on to Connor Timms. You think that's the better asset long-term than one season of Taylor Hall? Yes. Now, I probably would have given up Shane Bowers or I Martin Kaut, um, a guy like that. But for me... Ooh, Martin Kaut, I like him. Okay. He did really well in the Czech League. Um, how's he doing in the AHL right now? Because he's only 20 years old. I think we forget sometimes how, how young these guys are. Yeah, I think for me it was more along the lines of... Colorado has a few A-level prospects, like really good prospects. And I would, like to me, he's not in the same conversation as Bowen Byram or uh, Connor Timmins in terms of ability to impact. Right? I, I can see that. I don't see... I think you're really high on Connor Timmins, for, for what it's worth, but I agree. I really like Connor well, Timmins okay, as well. okay, let's not pretend that uh, wingers are more valuable than defensemen who could potentially play top four minutes. Especially a right-handed defenseman in Connor Timmins. That's but, sort of what I'm getting at. <laughs> so here's the argument. If you trade Connor Timmins as part of a package for Taylor Hall, you get Taylor Hall this year, he succeeds, and now you have the cap space to sign him long-term, and you could have a core of Nathan McKinnon, uh, Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram, and Taylor Hall. That's pretty oh. awesome. Oh, forget oh, it's Samuel Gerrard on that ridiculous contract. Oh my god, what a steal. Like, that's a guy where I'm, if I'm Colorado, I know that if I had to trade, so if I'm Colorado, if I only have to give up Timmins and a pick, like if I only have to give up two assets, I would feel more comfortable doing it because I have a guy like Sam Gerrard. But if you want Timmins a first and two more things, like you're not getting that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it depends on what because it is. Because of the quality of prospect you're giving up. Exactly. In if you're giving up, like we said, three B or C level prospects, then like knock your socks off. Go ahead. But in Colorado's case, because they have the prospect capital and you have Bowen Byram coming that's something where maybe you look at it and go, okay, I, I already have Sam Gerrard. He's under team control for the next seven years. That's then something that you can look at doing if it's only a two-piece trade at that point. And that's, to me, that would have been the best trade. No, if you could get Connor Timmins in a first. Yeah, I think what Colorado's doing, they're looking at their uh, roster two, three years down the line, and they're saying, we love the idea of a Bowen Byram, Kale McCarr, you know, first pairing, which that's oh going to be frightening God. When, when, it, when, when it happens. That's just going to be stupid. And a Samuel Gerrard, Connor Timmins second pairing. And that can just be our decor for the next, you know, half decade. And I understand it because you look at what Carolina's done. You know, you get a bunch of cheap young defensemen, sign them long term. And it's really easy to control play when you have four stellar defensemen on the ice for, you know, 50 minutes of, of the 60. Yeah, like that's that's a pretty solid core. Um, so I could see if if giving up Connor Timmins was where Colorado wanted to stop, I could see why um, they would do that. And they could have done it, um, but then again, right? It's it's a half a year, and so again, that's a more quality trade than it is a quantity trade from that perspective. So that's Colorado. What about Florida? Because it was. You're not going to get Trocek and Heponiemi or Trocek and Borgstrom. You're probably getting Trocek and a first or Borgstrom, Heponiemi. Trocek and a first for Taylor Hall? Actually, wow. no, not at all. Trocek and like a third. And some stuff, maybe. Yeah, and maybe some stuff. But there would have to be salary going back. I know that there were rumors that uh, Arizona, or sorry, um, 
that Arizona might have included a, a goalie in their trade, you know, an anti-ranta. Like, ooh, is he going to get traded one way? I know that's why Vincent Trocek's name came up, because getting salary to go the other way in a Taylor Hall trade makes sense. But getting New Jersey to eat half the salary in that trade... I'm still surprised that they didn't get more, considering the fact that they ate the salary. Right, and originally, before the Trocheck borstrom heponiemi thing came out, um, someone brought up on Twitter that it might have been Logan Hutsko or Spencer Knight, who are both Boston-area prospects. Um, Florida was never going to give up Spencer Knight. Ever. They drafted him 12th overall? I mean, to take the goalie that high, and you must be all sure, they have Bobrovsky for the next God knows how long. They're not trading Spencer Knight. It is not happening in the same way that the Rangers probably aren't going to trade either of their young goaltenders. Or unless you knock their socks off. Who are the young goalies in, in New Jersey? Or sorry, no, New York right now. Gorgiev's one. And Shashorkin. Oh, forgot he, about him. I think he pitched three straight shutouts or three shutouts in four games in the AHL last week. Like, that's And the, the Leafs could really use a, a guy like that. Yeah, I don't quite think that they want to trade him. Um, but what I'm saying is, is Florida was never going to give up Spencer Knight. Like, that was a probably a, just a total non-starter. It was very much a Bowen Byram type of situation. I think I'm just so much higher on Alexei Heponiemi than most people. Hearing oh, I the like fact him that too. He, <laughs> yeah. And I, I know that he hasn't quite acclimatized the AHL just yet, but his skill level, I mean... Watching what he's done internationally at tournaments, just like shredding the competition. He was an elite point producer in the Finnish Pro League last year. As a, as a, was he 19 or 20 last year? But I liked the idea of New Jersey getting like a Heponiemi Borgstrom kind of package. I just, I, I don't know the full details, but I think New Jersey made the wrong decision. I, I think that whatever Florida was offering... Sounds like it might have been the better package, but only time will tell, I guess. Yeah, and Borgstrom is an interesting one because he would have been an RFA after this year, but he's one of those weird ones in the same way that uh, Pavel Zaka was, in that he wouldn't have been eligible for an offer sheet. I was going to say, in that he's not very good. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, But you look at the prospects, like I would say that Borgstrom's and Hepo Niemi um, may have surpassed Owen Tippett in terms of how excited the Panthers are about those two players versus and Borgstrom's 22 now. So it's, he's getting to that point where if, if he doesn't start to show that he can be an NHL player with consistency, then we're starting to get a bit worried. Heponiemi's much younger though. So that, that one, I, I'm still holding out hope that he can be a, a top six player. Okay. So with Borgstrom, um, yeah, he's a little bit older. Um, he played, I think he played a year in the NCAA. Yeah. At Denver. Um, and then 2018, 19, 18 points in 50 NHL games. He was almost a point a game in the AHL. And then this year, he's 13 points in 22 games. Um, I want to say he had a slow start. I remember reading that somewhere. Uh, I still really like Henrik Borstrom, and I think that he's got a pretty good ceiling. That is someone I would have given up for Taylor Hall, though. Like, that's not a... Heponiemi, for me, is like the... I don't know. I I see him as an A-level prospect. I love Heponiemi. He broke the... The WHL scoring record, I think, didn't he? Yeah, in his post-draft year, he had 118 points in 57 games, which is just stupid. And that was at age 18. At age 19, he was almost a point-per-game player in a pro league in Finland. It's one of the better leagues in the world. He hasn't quite figured out at the AHL this year at age 20, but again, I just, I'm so high on his talent that that when I heard that Heponiemi was scratched the other night and, and Florida was looking to trade for Hall... I was thinking, oh my god, Heponiemi on a team with Jack Hughes and oh my and, god, know, that Nico would have been Hitcher. crazy. Just thinking about all this talent on the ice, I'm thinking, oh, this would be so much fun. But eh, Nick Merkley, you know, Kevin Ball, that first round pick. Maybe Florida wasn't willing to give up a first round pick if they were giving up Heponiemi and I wouldn't Borgstrom. be either if I was giving up Heponiemi or Trocheck. So maybe what they're thinking is the first round pick in a tw- in a loaded 2020 draft is going to have more value than a Borgstrom or a Heponiemi. And I can understand the logic behind it, but man, I just feel like Heponiemi is a draft pick that you hit on. And it's just, it's hard to acquire those kind of players. They don't become available very often. I I would agree with you. Um, so you and I kind of are both on the quality over quantity train here. And we're also on the Heponiemi uh, bandwagon. Yes, we very much are on the Heponiemi bandwagon. Yeah, um, I'm not selling my stock because of, you know, one slow start to an AHL season. I think this guy's ridiculously talented. Yeah. Okay, so who should Hall play with in Arizona then? Should he play with Phil Kessel or should he not play with Phil Kessel? I think is the biggest question that I have. Did um, Maybe it helps kickstart 
Like, just because it's funny. I feel like they have a similar style of play when they have the puck, mm-hmm. and when they don't have the puck, Phil Kessel is completely useless. Whereas Taylor Hall has some value in the back checking game, and his positional play is a bit better. But uh, the Arizona Coyotes have been running a Clayton Keller, Derek Stepan, Phil Kessel line for a lot of the year. Hasn't been producing, so maybe this gives Phil Kessel a winger to help him kickstart his offense. You can shelter Clayton Keller a bit more at even strength. I'm looking at their lineup right now. Here's what they have listed on uh, Daily Faceoff, which is where I look at all my line combinations. They have Taylor Hall, Dvorak, Kessel on the first line. I'm looking at Arizona centers. I don't love Arizona centers. I just, it, it seems like a lot of, I feel like they have three third line centers. Well, and don't forget, Dvorak. they just loaned Barrett Hayton out, right? That's fair. That's fair. Bar- well, to be fair, Barrett Hayton also, I think at this point in his NHL career, might be a third line center. Well, right now, but I at age eighteen or nineteen, ceiling is significantly is. higher than a third line center. And he he reminds me of um, I don't know, like a Bergeron or O'Reilly, in that he was so good defensively at age eighteen. I feel like when he's in his prime at 21, 22, 23, we might be talking about a potential Selkie kind of guy. We'll see. We'll see how his development goes. But Barrett Hayton's a guy to keep an eye on. So when he gets back from the World Juniors. Barrett Hayton's going to be on this roster. Clayton Keller has been playing on the wing this season. Nick Schmaltz, underrated, uh, you know, transition player who creates stuff off the rush. They have, uh, when Nicholas Jalmerson gets back in the lineup, they have one of the more underrated defense cores in the NHL. And they have maybe the two, the best goalie tandem in the NHL, other than maybe Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Yeah, I was going to say, those two are uh, They've been lighting it up this year, but... Kemper's north of a 9.30, and Antiranta's north of a 9.20. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, I like this team, weirdly, now, and now I trust their power play, because Taylor Hall's been an elite power play weapon over the last few years, so I'm interested to watch Arizona now. I'm not sure what the right line combinations are. I'm sure they'll figure it out eventually, but... There's talent up front, and now you have that superstar caliber player in a Taylor Hall to help lead things. I think Nick Schmaltz can play center, too, if I'm not mistaken. I would personally, like, I'd love to see Keller and Hall play. I don't know how they would necessarily make that work. Um, I mean, Clayton Keller, in theory, could play center. Uh, I'm not sure if he's ready yet, but his talent to me always said center Iceman who has the puck a lot. Okay, so, yeah, we definitely agree on that. Um, Because if they can somehow develop a a one-two punch of Keller, Hayton, uh, that all of a sudden becomes very enticing, uh, especially if you have Taylor Hall on the wing. Um, are you ready for a fun idea? Oh, always. We are about fun on this podcast. Taylor Hall, Clayton Keller, Phil Kessel. Why not? Sold. <laughs> Give it to me. Now, are they going to play any defense? It's tough to say. Zero. None. <laughs> but you know what? That's probably a power play unit. Those are probably three yeah. individuals on the power play unit, so you'll get your taste of it there. Right now, it's weird. Clayton Keller's listed on PP2. I'm not sure if that's just a temporary thing, but... Uh, that probably shouldn't to- be a temporary thing. That should be he's playing on PP1, and that's the end of that. So you want to see a Taylor Hall, Phil Kessel, Clayton Keller power play unit with Ekman Larson at the point? Yeah, and then maybe Derek Stepan uh, as Th- the fifth That's guy. who's listed here. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, maybe that then. Um, just cause this I think fun all of a sudden, this seems so fun. <laughs> I would love to see Clayton Keller's passing ability with, um, Taylor Hall's speed and rush ability. Like if, if Keller hits him in transition, this guy's going to have so many breakaways. Looking at the players that they've acquired over the last few years, whether it's a Nick Schmaltz, a Vinny Hinestroza, uh, looking at the players they've drafted in a Clayton Keller, acquiring a Phil Kessel. This is clearly a team who values transition ability. And Jacob and Chikrin know- too. Yeah, and, and I know with analytics, that's something the Leafs have also really like gone all in on this year. They acquired a Tyson Berry, when I would argue they probably should have acquired someone who's a bit better defensively. But I think the big thing in analytics is that when you gain the zone with speed and control and you're able to make a cross-size pass, it drastically increases your chances of scoring. And that's where, I want to say 75% of the league's goals come within 5 seconds or 10 seconds of a zone entry. So... Arizona's clearly buying into the idea that even if we don't have the puck as often as the other team, we're going to counterattack you into oblivion with all the speed we're acquiring. And oh yeah, we just acquired one of the fastest, best transition players in the world in Taylor Hall. They're going to be so fun to watch now. It's I, I love the idea of, of all this talent that's on this team. You have Michael Grabner and Connor Garland on your fourth line. I mean, this team has speed and skill all throughout the lineup. Are they going to be able to make it work? yet to be seen but i like the idea of what they're doing here all right so 
that's sort of the Taylor Hall trade. Um, we're going to move to our Alexei Kovalev shift. We are still sticking with the Coyotes here. Um, so our Major League Sox Kovalev shift is the Coyotes have a new owner in Alex Morello. And they're clearly all in. They're allowed to acquire salary. Uh, Chaco's kind of been given the keys to just run with it. What are your thoughts on kind of how that situation's played out considering where the Coyotes were a couple years ago and now with the license to do so, Cheka's moves in terms of how he's maybe um, reshaped and added some pieces and with some salary. I think they looked at what the Carolina Hurricanes did last year and how it really increased attendance and, and created a lot of buzz around the city. And now all of a sudden, Carolina's weirdly become, I don't know if a hockey town is the right way of putting it, but there's so much buzz around the Hurricanes over the last year or so. And I think Arizona wants some of that. And here's the thing, their team hasn't made the playoffs in how many years? It's been forever. If they can get this team into the playoffs, and if you win a playoff round, that has so much value. And I know the hard part with you know, looking at these things objectively and trying to look at long-term success, you don't like the idea of buying going all in in one year because, hey, if you're not going to win the Stanley Cup, what's the point? I think the hard part here is that there is a lot of value in making the playoffs and winning a playoff round or two if you're a team who hasn't done so in forever. I know the Columbus Blue Jackets, when they went all in, I know the frustration there was, well, you know, look at the situation the Blue Jackets are in now, and, you know, did you really need to go all in? But it has value to a fan base who is just so done with a a team who doesn't make the playoffs. Clearly, you're not showing up if the team isn't going to succeed. You watch, down the stretch, when Arizona's in this playoff race and they're making a legitimate push, I, I guarantee you that they're they're going to sell more tickets than they have in the past. And if they make the playoffs, all of a sudden that that building's going to sell out. So this is the hard part of looking at the management side of sports versus the the player acquisition side of sports. Was this trade best for Arizona in the long term? I mean, you could say probably not, but I'm of the opinion they really didn't give up that much to acquire Taylor Hall. I know the first round pick is is to me the biggest asset that they lost here. So Oh, by by far. Yeah, and they they gave up a a bit, you know what I mean? They gave up quantity instead of, you know, quality. But if this gets them into the playoffs and if this creates the buzz around the team, and and look, we're talking about the Arizona Arizona Coyotes on this podcast. We never talk about them. No one cares about the Arizona Coyotes around the NHL, and now they do. And that's what this trade's done. And that has a lot of value, in my opinion. So kudos to the owner for, you know, signing off on this. Kudos kudos to the general manager and John Chayka for pulling this off. I think this is just going to be a fun four, five, six months of hockey now for the Arizona Coyotes, and I can't remember the last time I said that. Yeah, I think you're totally right in terms of the fact that maybe it might not be the best for them long term, but the reality is is they really didn't give up that much. Like When I look at their defensive prospects, Kyle Capabianco is probably a, a better defensive prospect than Kevin Ball is in terms of transition, and he's more of a how the NHL is playing at this point. Um, and so when you're giving up quantity over quality and you get a guy like Taylor Hall who puts butts in seats because that's what he does he puts butts in seats um that's something where you can build a fan base how many young kids in Arizona potentially at this point are gonna go see a game and and have a ton of fun like it's not terribly expensive to go see an Arizona Coyotes game um and they have a bunch of deals for kids and So how many fans, even in the next six months, is Taylor Hall potentially going to create? Or is this team going to create with how fun they could play? Or how fun the atmosphere could be just going to the game, right? And so for me, that's that's something that's important because I I never like to see an NHL franchise struggle. Um, And it was really good when Winnipeg kind of moved back to Winnipeg and they've been going steady and strong and... I always like the idea, you and I always talk offline about how hockey's not super accessible and it hasn't really grown a whole lot. And so if you can grow in a market like Arizona, which is a non-traditional hockey market, like that's good. We, you want that if you want to grow the game. You don't need to grow the game in Toronto or in Montreal or in Chicago. You need to grow the game in places like Arizona. And I think that Getting this new owner who clearly has shown that he's all in, kudos to him, first of all. Um, And now this potentially is going to build up a whole new fan base, and maybe now Austin Matthews isn't the only Arizona player of note playing in the NHL 10 years from now. I thought you were going to say playing for the Arizona Coyotes 10 years from now. (laughs) No, but what I'm saying, like, that's the impact, right? And so for Alex Morello to come in and 
and allow this to happen and really say, no, like we want to grow the game here. We want to be a good team. We are going to go all in. Like, it makes me really happy to see that. It really does because, I mean, I would like teams in non-traditional hockey markets to grow. I would like the ratings to grow. I would like the attendance to be better. And the only way you're going to do that is if your team is good and entertaining, right? I wouldn't go watch a game if the team wasn't good and wasn't entertaining. And I like hockey. So for me, this is this is really good on so many levels for Arizona. Um, you asked if it was best for them in the long term. Crazy question. Did this trade potentially keep the team in Arizona? I know that's crazy to say out loud, but here's the thing. If they make the playoffs this year and they go on a fun run, all of a sudden that might increase buzz in the city to the point where ticket sales improve and things are better a few years from now. Whereas if they miss the playoffs this year and it's more of the same, all of a sudden is this team in Quebec City a few years from now. You know, it's just these are the kind of things that management and ownership are thinking about and stuff like this matters. I know we don't like saying it does, but you need to worry about ticket sales at some point. And this is really going to put a lot of butts in the seats. Agreed. And so that was our Kovalev shift brought to you by major league socks. Use the code staff graph, no space in between just staff graph at major to get 15% off your purchase. You can get mystery boxes. There's alumni socks. Um, you know what, Ian, maybe we should get them to make Taylor hall Kachina socks. I would buy those. Oh my I'd god, I'd have a pair them. of those. For sure, I'd have like yeah. five pairs. I don't know how long it takes them to actually make socks. Probably won't be ready for the Christmas season. But hey, Christmas is coming up next week. If you have an important fan in your life that you want to get a pair of Bab socks for, do it. Do it up. I'm going to keep recommending this until, until people tell me to stop. And everyone's going to tell me to stop, and I'm going to keep doing it because uh, Major League Socks, the company formerly known as Bab Socks, still selling Bab Socks. You can still get a pair or two if, if, if you're... I still think it's a great uh, idea as a, as a Christmas gift for a Leafs fan in your life or non-Leafs fan in your life. Get them some Bab socks. It's a good idea. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, some that's sort my, of... That's my sales pitch. There you go. <laughs> the Chicago Blackhawks have announced that Mark Crawford has been suspended from all team activities until January 2nd, 2020. Um, and that was the conclusion of their internal investigation. Um, so that clearly tells me that whatever they found was not in the line of absolutely horrendous that he need to be fired. Um, not great that he's suspended. Um, so thoughts on that? Well, I mean, these we knew about these things a year or so ago. Uh, didn't Brent Sopel talk about it on a podcast? Didn't the Sean Avery quote was out before this? Brent Sopel it, it also came, came to... out and clarified that it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. It... it... <sighs> It's still yeah, I'm, not I'm glad, great. Like, no, I'm glad that we're holding people accountable. It's just frustrating that it wasn't done at the time. You know what I mean? I'm glad that there's finally public pressure to holding people accountable for their actions, whether it's you know Bill Peters, whether it's Jim Montgomery. We still don't know what he did. And Mark Crawford, again, I feel like everyone's known for a while that Mark Crawford was not a great guy, and that people still kept hiring him. I think this is kind of the problem with hockey in general. Uh, we're starting to hold people accountable, but... People knew about these things at least a year or two ago, and we're finally holding them accountable today. I'll take it. I'm happy, but I'd like to see people being held accountable so, in the moment, the day of, the week of. Hang on a minute. He released a statement, and I've just read through it as you were saying that. This is the type of statement that gets you some... that makes people believe that you actually care and are remorseful. So part of his statement reads, I'm deeply sorry for hurting them. I offer sincere apologies for my behavior. And then he goes on to say, I have made sincere efforts to address my inappropriate conduct with the individuals involved as well as the team. I have regularly engaged in counseling over the last decade where I have faced how traumatic my behavior was towards other and I learned new ways of expressing and managing my emotions. I take full responsibility for my actions. Moving forward, I will continue to improve myself and to listen to those that I have hurt and learn from their experience. So at least he takes some ownership and says, okay, I did this and this is what I've done since. And there are receipts, which is that's what everyone says. Yeah. Show me receipts. To me, that's a step forward. 
Yeah, and I know that everyone gets mad about the hashtag cancel culture, but here's the thing. If you do something wrong and you admit the wrongdoing and you look to improve, people love a comeback story. Everyone does. And the thing with Mark Crawford, I've heard people say that since those days where he was doing terrible things, he has improved. And I'm not sure. I'm not in the room. I don't know what's happened over the last, let's call it, year or two. But from all accounts, things have improved. And you can hear from his apology there that he, he took a look in the mirror and tried to address things. When someone like Bill Peters does all these terrible things, we don't want to just lock him away and throw away the key. We want people to improve and be better. And I think that's what we all want from hockey culture in general, whether it's at the NHL level or, in my opinion, more importantly, at the minor league level, which is something that me and Daniel Carcello were talking about the other week. So I really hope that this is kind of a productive step forward that we can take in the hockey community. and. I like apologies like that because at least it admits wrongdoing. What frustrates me to no end is the Bill Peters lawyer statement. Yeah, whereas at least with Crawford, it's like, I admit that I did it. You show remorse for the people that you hurt and you've detailed actual steps that you've taken to ensure that you are contributing to getting better and the positive parts of coaching as opposed to, this is what I did. Uh, I'm kind of sorry, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a significantly better apology than the one that we got from Bill Peters. Yeah, Bill Peters, take notes, all right? <laughs> uh, another thing, I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, Joel Farabee got suspended three games for the hit on Matthew Perot against Winnipeg on Sunday night. Did you see that hit? I did not see that hit, so do you want to describe it? Um, Perot basically passed the puck, and Farabee... After the puck was passed, took three strides and elbowed him in the head. And it was probably two seconds after he had gotten rid of the puck. It was one of the latest hits I've seen in 10 years. It's like a Tom Wilson hit. No, it was worse. It was so bad. Like I'm thinking of the Tom Wilson hit on Marcia So in the playoffs. Oh, oh, that was bad. But yeah, Farabee basically came from the side slash net front to Perot, who was standing in the corner after he had passed the puck and took his head off and leveled him. I think the problem with suspensions right now is that as much as I like George Peros and I think he's a really smart guy and I, I like the, the fact that they're trying to bring smart people in the league, the people that they bring in to run player safety, it's always guys who were the violators of, of these, uh, these the, the rules that were in the league. You have Chris Pronger running it. You have... Now you have George Peros, who is a, a fighter in the league. Why don't we have Paul Correa running player safety? Why don't we have Eric Lindros Mark running Savard. player safety? Yeah, why don't we have players who, you know, Eric Lindros might not be the best example because he was always running guys. But in, in society, to be a judge, you can't have a criminal record because you need to be you know, an upstanding moral citizen. Whereas in hockey, the judges are, are people who have, you know, been sentenced to, you know, first degree murder. And it's just, it's, it's this backwards way of, of policing the game that I personally don't understand. I, I, I can see what they're going for because someone who puts themselves in vulnerable, vulnerable situations sometimes as a, as a hitter will be able to see the difference between someone who was going for the head, actively targeting it, targeting it, and someone who didn't mean to do it, but still was being a bit reckless. And I understand it to a certain extent, but it's resulted in the league not punishing hits nearly as much as they should have. I feel like Brendan Shanahan was one of the only people who actually brought in punishments that seemed to fit with uh, the crime or whatever you want to call it, with the act on the ice. I'm not a huge fan of the way that the NHL player safety department's been operating over the last few years. And I'm not saying that George Peros is a terrible person. I, I think he's a really smart guy who's trying to do the right thing. I just think the way that he looks at the game is drastically different than the way someone like Paul Correa or Mark Savard would look at the game. And I'd like to see it be officiated off the ice a bit more similar to how those players would look at it. Because these hits are slowly killing players with these concussions. I think we need to take things a bit more seriously. Yeah, and and three games for your first suspension um, in, I think he's only played 12 or 13 NHL games. Like, that's not a lot of games played to be getting slapped with a three-game suspension. So, obviously, a bad hit. Um, it's all over Twitter, so... Uh, that's an interesting thing with rookies is that I know that if you have a you know a large sample of games where you haven't committed uh, you know a serious infraction when it comes to suspendable worthy hits, 
it's seen as a mitigating factor. But if you've played 12 NHL games before getting a suspension, I'm not sure if a clean record is exactly a good thing. You know, it's like, while you played 12 games, you didn't murder anybody. We're not, I don't see how that should lower your suspension. I think it should be treated just the same as anyone else. Right. Okay, so last question. Who did better? Ottawa with Mark Stone or New Jersey with Taylor Hall? I think you and I... Oh, that's not really a fair yeah. comparable, Someone is Someone just it? asked that. Man, I, d- okay. I don't ask the questions. I just pick the questions. I don't even I have a pick better the question. questions half the time. Who did better? Ottawa with Eric Carlson or New Jersey with Taylor Hall? I think that's the better question. Ooh. Because Mark Stone, it's not a fair comparable. It's not. It's it's apples to oranges because Mark Stone si- immediately signed an eight-year contract with Vegas. That's why they were willing to give up Brandstrom. But Eric Carlson didn't sign the day of, and the pieces in the Eric Carlson trade kind of remind me a bit of it because I looked at it and I go, I went, there's a bunch of stuff here, but there's nothing I really like. Well, they have uh, two NHL players. Who are the players again? I'm trying to remember the Eric Carlson trade. Chris Tierney, who is playing on Ottawa's second line right now, if I believe. Chris Tierney, who is not Sean Tierney. <laughs> no. Um, and D- Dylan DeMello, who I think is on the top pair. He's been doing well this year. Yeah. Like, surprisingly great. Like, him and Pajot and that Ottawa team, surprisingly decent. Um, and then they gave up Josh Norris and uh, Rudolph's Balsers, who I know is playing in Belleville. Again, I, um, I I still don't believe that Balsers is a real player. So Josh Norris is in Belleville. He has 21 points in 25 games. He has more points than Nick Merkley. Uh, okay, so there's that one. And he so is Nick Merkley and Josh Morris are similar. And, I, I'd say in terms of like upside. And, and Josh Norris similar. is 20 years old. How old's Nick Merkley? Nick Merkley is 22 years old. So he's the same age as Henrik Borgstrom. Um, and he's got 16 points in 26 games. If Nick Merkley wasn't drafted in the first round in 2015, I don't think we'd be talking about Nick Merkley. You're probably right. But here's the thing. He had a point-per-game season in the AHL at age 20. And I think that's the, the year that everyone's going, ooh, ooh, this is a player. And ever since then, he's never looked as good. And he's you're hoping that you can extract some of that value that people saw oh, in his and, draft uh, year. Rudolph Balsers, just so you know, is 22 and is 18 points in 12 games in Belleville this year. Whoa, okay, I was making fun of him, and he's actually crushing it this year. Good for him. Yeah, so the Sens got two NHL players and two prospects that are better than any single prospect that New Jersey got. And people hated the Carlson trade. Yeah, and one dude has a heart and one doesn't. And now Carlson does have a Norris, and he's very good. I'm going to try to make the argument that Taylor Hall is a better player than Eric Carlson. I'm, I'm just not buying it. No, I'm, I'm not going to make Hall. that argument. But what I'm saying is, is the people who are involved in these trades do make that argument. Well, I mean, the heart never goes to a defenseman. That's just the way it works. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't like this Taylor Hall trade. I don't. I, I do not like it. I like the first round pick. And I think that's the only asset that I really care about because I think Kevin Ball is, I thought he was the most overrated prospect in his draft that he was in because I think he's a six foot seven dude who can't skate. And I think that those players don't belong in the league anymore. Logan Stanley. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I don't like this trade for New Jersey at all. If you're a New Jersey Devils fan listening to this, I'm sorry, but I just, I thought there were better options out there for your team. And if you're an Arizona Coyotes fan listening to this, I think you just struck gold by giving up a bunch of meh stuff and a first-round pick to acquire one of the most electrifying players in the league. Well, so, even if you look at what the Sens got for Matt Duchesne, like, they got Vitaly Abramov, Jonathan Davidson, a first-round pick, and a conditional first-round pick. I don't know what that ended up turning into. Remember what Matt Duchesne went for the first time around? Wasn't it, like, a <laughs> lot of things? Well, it was a top four pick. Yeah, uh, it was Bowen and, Byram. Uh, uh, they got uh, Sam Gerrard from Nashville. They got uh, yeah. They ended up getting Bowen Byram, Sam Gerrard. Um, oh my God! Yeah, Kamenev and Shane, Shane ba- Bowers. Shane Bowers. Yeah, right? Shane Bowers. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to say there's another pick in there, but yeah, not a bad haul for Joe Sakic on that trade. Eh? Yeah. So, I mean, like, if we're being honest, like, obviously the Stone trade is a completely different situation. Like, they got Eric Brandstrom. That's, that's a pretty good haul in and of itself. 
Um, but then that also came with a stone extension. You look at the Carlson trade or the Duchesne trade, um, you're getting prospects that are producing more. Um, obviously, well, actually, that was a five-piece trade, and they got NHLers, right? So that's... Who, who else has been traded in recent memory that's comparable to Taylor Hall as an asset? I think it was probably Matt Duchesne. Yeah, it's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to go through my mind and, and ask, like, okay, how many guys were at one point, you know, a top five player in the league or are currently a top 20, top 30 player in the league who were traded with one year left on their contract? Eric Carlson comes to mind. Mark Stone, that's the hard part is because he signed your contract. Now, it's probably important to point out that Hull was injured most of last year and hasn't been great this year, right? So he's fallen off and I would say he hasn't been great this year. That is also probably a product of just... New Jersey in and of itself. Like everyone's everyone's not been New great Jersey. this year. <laughs> Who's trying in New Jersey right now? Oh, I think trying is different. Like Nico Heeshear is you will never hear me say a bad word about Nico Heeshear. Um and to be fair, like it's not an ideal situation right now. It just isn't, right? They have a goaltender with I think an eight nine nine save percentage, which is not gonna get you very far. Um it's a lot better than what Corey Schneider was giving them. Well, yeah. Um, the defense can't seem to move the puck out. Um, the forwards can't seem to score, and I feel like that's going to regress. Um, I just realized this. The New Jersey Devils own four players currently playing on the Ottawa 67s. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's just... That just seems like a lot, doesn't it? I don't know. It's like one of those random facts. Are any of them actually any good? Obviously, Kevin Ball. Mitchell Holscher, who I think sixth round pick. Nikita Okotyuk, who is a defenseman I want to say and uh Graham Clark who is a forward actually he's from the Toronto area I think he played for the Marlies in his OHL draft year um Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that none of those guys ever become impactful NHL players (laughs) well I mean they'd have to develop um God knows they'll develop some chemistry playing together in Ottawa but yeah I don't think when was the last time a team had four prospects playing for one single CHL team. Eh, you'd probably find a bunch of random ones because you'd have like bottom pairing defensemen and third or fourth liners that you forget are part of a team's prospect pool. Yeah, that's that's true. I don't know. I just feel like that's a lot of players to own on one team. Um, well, that's that. This has been the Taylor Hall extraordinaire. Yeah, I mean, it's it's big trade. It's it's going to be the biggest trade of this season, and it's. The biggest trade... What was, when would have the Coyotes have made a bigger trade in franchise history? They haven't. There's no way. I'm trying to th- trying to think back to... They drafted Shane Doan? Uh, yes, because he was with the Jets franchise, I think. I just... It's funny. I'm thinking back to, like, the Arizona Coyotes. I just don't know much about their franchise because they haven't been that good over the last, let's call it, 15, 20 years. So, I don't know. I'm looking forward... To Arizona mattering in hockey and to Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel doing fun stuff off the rush. Clayton Keller taking that next step forward. And Arizona making the playoffs will be so fun. Make it happen. Please, Arizona, don't fall off a cliff. And if Darcy Kemper all of a sudden starts regressing back to what he probably should be, then then you do need some scoring to help offset that. So I, th- I think that Arizona recognized that they probably weren't as good as their points in the standings indicated. And they went out and they acquired the best player on the market. So... This is fun. It's a fun time to be an Arizona Coyotes fan, and it's a fun time to actually be watching some games out west. You got the Arizona Coyotes now. You got the Colorado Avalanche, Vancouver Canucks. There are some fun young. Connor McDavid also teams. plays in the Western Conference. Connor McDavid, when he's on the ice, very fun team to watch. Connor McDavid, when he's off the ice, the Oilers, I do not care. For there him, should but... be an NFL red zone, but it's an NHL red zone. It should basically be when Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon and whomever else are on the ice. Like that should be what the red zone is. Yeah, because frankly, I just don't care about the Oilers' bottom nine. I just don't. I like Ethan Bear, but Ethan Bear is way more fun when he's passing it up to McDavid and Drysaddle than when he's passing it up to... God, who's on that team? Jujar Kyra. Sam Gagne. <laughs> Zach Cassian. Zach Cassian's on their top line. Oh, I'm yeah. fully aware of that. That's, hey, you know what? He creates space, and as long as the other two are scoring, you could put a pile on there as long as they're making space. I mean, that's what James Neal was, right? They got James Neal, too. 
All right. All right. We should get out of here. But hockey in the West Coast is interesting this year. And Arizona, add them to the team. Add them to the list of teams that I actually care about watching after 9 p.m. Eastern time. And there aren't too many of them. So. All righty. Well, we'll be back next week. I will probably still be in a good mood. Um, perhaps a different day, though, just because uh, Christmas is a thing. Yeah, next week, we're recording on Monday. There's a 2 o'clock Leafs game against the Carolina Hurricanes. I, I have that marked on my schedule as something that's just bizarre. Oh, it's the next-gen like, game where all the like little kids come in. Oh, that's actually kind of cute. Yeah. Alrighty, well, we'll be back next week. All right, take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and the Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.